0: Hello, and welcome to the Shiny New Object podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. This is a show that investigates the latest marketing technology and makes sense of them for brands and their agencies. It's a series of interviews with interesting people, Uh, the first of which is Alex Jenkins, who is the editorial director of Contagious. For those of you that don't know, the way that Contagious describe themselves on their website is that Contagious continues to navigate the complexity of modern marketing. We provide an intelligence platform, briefings, quarterly magazine, advisory service and live events across the globe to champion brave, innovative creativity across the industry and equip companies to achieve it for themselves. Alex is an excellent public speaker. I have spoken at events with him in the past and every time he has literally wiped the floor with me in front of a room of hundreds of people and it's been an embarrassing experience every time Um, but we're friends nonetheless. Um, So we're going to talk about Alex's many careers including writing intelligence reports for the military, we're going to touch on African marketing, how to be a better writer, Lord of the Rings, Unicorns and what unites the Terminator and Christmas. And then we'll get on to Alex's shiny new object, which is computational creativity. So I will start that now. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. So, hi, Alex. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I'm in the, the office of Platform 360, uh, where I've been working on my project for the last couple of months. They've been very generous to give me that space for free, although I have fell out with the door staff downstairs <laughs> on a number of occasions. But apart from that, it's all been hunky-dory, so yeah, thanks to those guys. Good sponsored uh, message there. and they're not even paying for that. Oh, maybe, that's a, maybe that's a thing I should address. Um, you've just got back from Ethiopia.
1: Yeah. Can you talk uh, about that? Uh, not a lot. It was, for, it was for a client thing, but it was a bit of a an SAS job. It was sort of in, stay in a hotel for a very concentrated period of time, <laughs> deliver a presentation, to a bunch of African marketers, and then straight back to the airport and leave. So I did not really see Ethiopia. But you told me a couple of weeks back that you
0: were looking for the best of African case studies. Was, is that right?
1: I was, yeah. We were looking at what we thought was, yeah, the kind of standout marketing from, from sub-Saharan Africa. So I know
0: precisely nothing about marketing in sub-Saharan
1: Africa. What was the cherry on the cake of that? Um, there was well there was there was something which I quite liked I think there was something which weirdly like uh, everyone else there really really, really liked there was uh, some really interesting work from a beer brand called Tusker in, uh, in Kenya which did some really interesting stuff on kind of feature phone kind of mobile um, which to be honest it'd be quite long winded to explain exactly how it worked well, go on give us a I also... can't come on
0: a podcast and say I saw a really good thing in Africa, <laughs>
1: but I can't be asked to tell you about it. I'm desperately trying to remember how it went. Actually, to be honest, um, it was all it was in the run up to the Olympic Games um, in 2016. That was when the Olympic Games were, I think, and they were trying to generate uh, a little bit of kind of national pride in Kenya. Uh, Tusker is a local sort of beer, and they've kind of got a lot of. Um, you know, import stuff coming in, kind of eroding their market share a little bit. And, but they, they sort of found that, like, the local attitude in Kenya towards Kenya was a bit kind of meh. People didn't really care that much. Not into Kenya. Yeah, Kenyans weren't that into, sort of, Kenya. And so they wanted to, uh, you know, try to, you know, leverage that a little bit, kind of turn it around, especially in the run-up to the Olympics, get behind kind of Team Kenya. So they set up this service on uh, feature phones where you could just opt in to just get, Alerts about anything good which was happening in Kenya, just good news kind of alerts. So you opted in for this stuff. Um, So you got little kind of text messages saying, ah, you know, like our bobsleigh team has won.
0: So good stuff about the Olympics. Um, Or Winter Olympics, given that you said bobsleigh. Oh
1: no, it wasn't bobsleigh. That was a terrible (laughs) example. Actually, it was nothing. It was the news was not to do with the Olympics. It was to do with other stuff. Oh right, okay. Apart (laughs) from the Olympics, so I was very jet lagged uh, in Ethiopia, and that's probably repeating here on podcast. Um, But they also tied it into a little bit of just kind of a promotional kind of sampling drive. So they would actually send you effectively money to then go out and buy a Tusker beer if you opted in for the service via um, a service called M-Pesa, which yeah, yeah. uh, is a telco well, called Safaricom. Th- runs.
0: Um, and if the listeners don't know what M-Pesa is, can you just give a...
1: It's like a feature phone um, money transfer service. So if I owed you five Kenyan shillings, I could literally just send the, uh, the digit five to your phone and that would just transfer the money to you. Right. So while we're all kind of, you know, passing ourselves on the back, you know, in in the UK about being able to, like, transfer things via, like, Barclays, ping it and stuff. These guys did it years ago on feature phones. In fact, I think M-Pesa transfers more money just in Kenya than Western uh, Union does across the entire planet. So it's really, really big there. So they tied this kind of good news thing anyway into, like, this sampling drive and it had great results which I can't remember right, okay. <laughs> it's been put on the spot and That's I was up, like I say reasonably jet lagged about it but put it was, you on the spot I'm sorry Yeah, but that was my particular favorite one the thing they all really liked which is quite weird which actually wasn't from Africa which is from Japan which is this weird thing this uh, kind of apparel retailer had done uh, it was like a weird sort of Instagram hack where they'd on Instagram stories you know you get little ads and you swipe up if you want yeah. more information so they had these ads for these sneakers uh, which were in a sale and they'd artificially put, like, a hair on the ad. I saw that. Yeah. And it was just... And people just thought it was on the phone, so they swiped up to get rid of the hair, and then it, it took them into the uh, into the, the sale ad, which they thought was amazing. They were absolutely loving it. Absolutely loving it. And you think that's not very good, It's it? It's not, I'm I think it's very that. good. But I think, you know, you kind of... There's a lot of... You get into, like, an interesting talk about... Um, you know, the the longevity of the ideas like that. <laughs> the fact that like you make people feel a little bit tricked. You know, it's like it's probably great if you get the kind of the Instagram equivalent of a click-through rate up. But and maybe that's all you need. Like we're having a sale, uh, you're in, look, we've got this. Do you want it or not? But it's yeah, it not might not work
0: quite so well the second time round. It reminds me a bit of the Carling iPint app. I don't know what.
1: <laughs> the iPint app, yeah.
0: So for those of you who don't know about that, it was one of the first branded apps, very successful where the app was a, a pint and then you could yeah. tip it as if you were <laughs> mimicking yeah. drinking a pint and it would kind of glug away down your throat. And you know, I can remember someone showing me that and me thinking that was incredible. Well,
1: it was it was really early days in like iPhone version one. And it was right at the time when like early adopters were really showing off, like, look what I can do. And it was just some novelty <laughs> bullshit. But it was actually really, I think it was, yeah, it was for calling. I think it was really successful. Um... I might try and download it. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> right. So, um, okay. So I am a. I'm gonna just come completely clean here. So I listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast a lot. Have you come across this?
1: Uh, I don't listen to the Tim Ferriss
0: podcast. It, and it's he's like he basically interviews overachievers and kind of asks them why they're so ace, and
1: but and he's, he's a really kind of odd guy. This is guy. the four hour work week guy. Same guy, yeah. So Who his... I hear, a little bit of gossip, that he does a significantly more than four hours a week, actually. and um, Well, his podcast is like, <laughs> you just shy of that,
0: some weeks, to be honest. Um, so basically, he reaches out to people that he really likes, and then, or admires, and gets them in, and asks them about the kind of tools of the trade. Um, and he has a list of questions, that I'm basically going to rip literally off, but put a marketing spin on them. Sweet. Um, So if this doesn't work, then this may never go out. (laughs) Um, And it's going to go really serious based compared to the conversation we just had. Um, But we'll rattle through a couple of them, and you can also say uh, no answer or, you know, don't record this type of stuff. But let's see see how we get on. And then at the end of the episode, we will touch on subject I'm super interested in, which is creative artificial intelligence yeah. as your shiny new thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so it'd be really good to, for the audience to get to know you a bit better through someone else's questions. Yeah. Um, and then we'll get on the tech bit. Um, and then we'll go for a beer. So a beautiful triptych of uh, happiness. So first question, what is the marketing book that you recommend the most often?
1: Right. There is... Can I talk around this a little bit?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, Like a one-word answer with the name <laughs> of an author would be a bad podcast yeah. answer.
1: June, Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so there's, because basically the book I recommend probably most isn't actually a marketing book. Um, if I was to recommend like a marketing book, it would probably be like Influence by Robert Cialdini, which is like from back in the 80s. You know, it's sort of a precursor to some of the uh, you know, behavior economics stuff. Um, which, yeah, it's a great book. But I think actually the one, there's, there's two books I recommend a lot, I think. One is um, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy by Richard Remelt, um, which is more of a business thing. Um, but actually right at the top, the book I recommend more than anything else uh, is nothing to do with marketing. It's actually about writing. Uh, and it's specifically actually about screenwriting. But I think it's totally applicable to anyone who works in marketing. It's just about good structure and good communications. So it's a book called Invisible Inc. by a guy called Brian McDonald who is, like, he's a screenwriter, he's a story consultant, he sort of does, uh, uh, you know, does stuff in kind of graphic novels as well. But he was like, you know, he goes in and, you know, he sort of advises people like, you know, Lucasfilm and Pixar. And I think, you know, Andrew Stanton, the guy who did Finding Nemo, was basically like, look, if if my next film is a success, it'll be in a large part down to this guy. Um, And it's just a brilliant book. It's very, very short. It's really good fun. It's really, it's an enjoyable read. But it's just about clarity of expression and clarity of communication, actually, how you structure a really clear narrative. Um, and you can see, and the reason, I mean, I, I'm kind of at the periphery of marketing, so I'm on the editorial side. You know, so I'm the team I work with are writers mostly, so I kind of recommend it to them. But so much marketing kind of fails, or, or not even fails, but falls down on like clarity of communication that. It's just a lovely book to read to do that, and it's it's really like good fun as well. Like he'll totally convince you in like you know, space like one page that the Terminator is basically the same film as uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and when you read it, you go, "Oh my God, how did I never see this before?" He's totally right. So, if someone who's listening to this, for
0: whatever reason, can't buy the book or you know doesn't got time or money or whatever, what are, what is the kind of
1: key thing that you would? someone could take away from that? Um, I think the key theme is just being absolutely crystal clear on the message you want to communicate and then finding kind of creative ways to do it. So to come, which I think is like, you know, advertising comms in a nutshell. Like, what do you want to communicate? Do it creatively. So, to, you know, to illustrate, you know, the Terminator and it's a wonderful life thing. You know, it's wonderful life. is kind of, it's writ large, kind of what it is. Like, I think my life doesn't matter. You know, it's a guy who thinks that. And then an angel comes down and shows him what his life would be like if he hadn't lived, and it's literally the same in Terminator. Like, there's a point where the Linda Hamilton character, she's a waitress, and I think she says somewhere towards the start, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I, I could just be wiped off the face of the earth, and no one would even notice. Like, it wouldn't matter. I'm such a small cognizant machine. I, my life doesn't matter. And then what actually happens is a Terminator comes and says. Which basically proves the point, you're actually not just important, you're possibly the most important person <laughs> because you're the the mother of the future of the human race. And the whole story kind of, like, plays that out, about how, how important you are as a person. But it comes back to, like, the kind of the moral, if you will, what Brian MacDonald calls the armature, is, you know, you're probably significantly more important than you think you are. And one way is, you know, a very kind of saccharine, you know, kind of Christmas classic. And the other is like a brutal kind of futurist technology, you know, kind of horror sci-fi same message so how does that lesson or that theme they impact the work that you do i think i mean the work that we do obviously is like kind of writing about brands and startups and campaigns but it's just having that clarity of like what are you talking about and then once you're clear on what you're talking about how are you going to structure that argument to make that point to deliver it and communicate it as clearly as possible
0: and as a writer just talk me through the, the blow by blow how that works um, so you go the point can you uh, the, the point i want to communicate is that um, this campaign was great or <clears throat> wasn't very good and then you go right how am i going to argue that and you do all that at a kind of high level
1: and then you go into the writing detail i think i mean you can do that like that i mean you can do um something they call a story spine so you know which is like basically Any story can be boiled down to probably like about six or seven sentences, you know, so it's... And the classic is, you know, once upon a time there was a fill-in-the-blank. And every day they fill-in-the-blank until one day a thing happened. And because of that, da-da, and because of that, and because of that, and because of that, until finally a thing happened. And then from that day forward, you know, they were just a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser. You know, and you can kind of go, literally, like, the most basic one I can think of is, like, Incy Wincy Spider. It's so, like, once upon a time, there was a spider, and every day, he went up this damn water spout, and until one day, the rain came down. And because of that, Incy went down, and then blah, blah, blah. Until finally, the sun came out, and he went back up again. That, that, that story is literally, like, six, seven lines, But you take, like, the most epically long thing, like, Lord of the Rings, and you go, you know, like, once upon a time, you know, there was a hobbit called Frodo, and every day he was happy in the Shire, until one day, he found out he'd inherited... Like, the one ring of power which would, could destroy his entire earth. And because of that, him and his mates had to go off on an extended walking holiday. And because of that, you know, he met Gollum. And because of that, you know, they found you know, Aragorn. And because of that, he actually rose up and became the king. And, you know, until eventually like, they defeated him and chucked the ring away. And, you know, they are all happy. You know, and that's the story. Like, we can't argue that is the story. But it's told over thousands and thousands of words. But you can condense it down. And so, to get back to what I dimly remember was your question about how it helps, it's... How do you how do you use that technique specifically in in your job? Well, I think, I, in theory, you can use it up front. You go, right, the thing I want to say is, you know, whatever, like, you know, for marketing, like, creativity is, like, probably our best shot at effectiveness, but there are significant, like, of kind of what we think of as anti-creative forces, which, uh, you know, are going to hamper your ability to get that, and it could be... You know, clients chipping away at the budget, like kind of creativity by committee, like knocking off all the bits which are good about it, blah, blah, blah. And in theory, you can kind of structure it and then go in and write it and go in depth. So you can say, all right, creative is our most effective thing. Let's expand on that opening sentence. You know, studies from the IPA, studies from McKinsey, blah, blah, In reality, you tend to have like a bit of a vague sense of what it is you want to say. Like you're kind of like 80, 90 percent sure of what your key message is often do a bit of research and kind of start writing and it's, it's a lot messier than that so I personally use it as a tool to see if I'm writing something that's going wrong just reduce it right back um, and look at if you can condense like every page or every paragraph down to like one line go, what, is it, what is it I'm actually saying here and as an editor when I look at kind of copy sort of coming in that's what I do, if, if I'm reading something like it doesn't really make sense I kind of do that sort of zoom out and go right just little line in the margin what's this paragraph about, what's this one about this one about and you soon go alright oh, they've set up the challenge and they've jumped to the solution then they've gone back to the challenge again and actually when you're reading it in the detail it doesn't really come through when you zoom out you get right so it shouldn't go challenge, solution, challenge solution it should go challenge, challenge solution, solution <laughs> conclusion um, so it's you can kind of use it in different places I think you'd need to be super you know prepared to just have that initial seven sentence this is what I want to say you know um, but it's a handy thing.
0: So what I'm going to do is stay in that in this kind of sort of practical space. So it remind me of the book Invisible Ink by Brian McDonald. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. So you'd recommend that to anyone who has writing as part of their job. So what what would be um, what would be the kind of uh, the the thing that the most useful thing that you've bought with your own money? that you've used for work so not something you've expensed like a flight or yeah. something like that but what, what is the thing that you've bought so maybe like I don't know like a, a smart watch or whatever so you never miss a meeting again what is the one thing
1: you bought with your own money that's had the biggest impact on your job I think hands down without exception would be a Kindle Do you, I know some people like don't like these things but bear in mind like I'm I go on a tube every day and the ability to like read a book without you know and hold on with another hand so you don't have to like you know, turn pages that's quite useful but I think um, it's like a couple of years ago I interviewed a professor of machine learning a guy called Pedro Domingos who was like very like, he'd been working in this area for like decades and we, he was talking about you know kind of the cortex and artificial kind of intelligence stuff he said there's this there's this notion of like the exocortex, this idea you can just outsource part of your brain so a notebook is an exocortex. Like, I'm not going to remember all this, so I'll just write it down. For me, like, the Kindle is an exocortex. So I read, like, a huge amount of stuff on it and the ability to just highlight passages and to be able to just go, that'll be useful at some point in the future. This quote, you know, about storytelling, I'd have done a better job if I'd had my Kindle there, you know, (laughs) or about, you know, AI or whatever it is we're looking at. I know I can just go back, I can find the bits I thought would be useful, I can just search through it, Um, It's just an insanely useful thing for me. And
0: how do you choose what to read on your Kindle?
1: Um, I think there's... I mean, I started... I got a Kindle, I think, soon after I joined so I've been there about eight years now. And, you know, it's very much, you know, a knowledge business. You know, sort of like... to tell the team, look, you're knowledge workers in a knowledge economy... You know, if, if we don't know more than the people we're trying to sell stuff to, why would they buy what we've got to tell them? So I sort of, like, like literally like a month or two after joining containers, I've got this general, you know, sort of permanent fear of just like, God, I've just got to know more than people. I've just got to acquire knowledge like aggressively and continuously. Um, and I think I start off uh, looking at, like, a lot of, like, behavioural economics stuff, like kind of Dan Ariely and things like that. And then, because I thought that'd, that'd be broadly... A, Applicable to any marketing. It's just a framework for looking at you know how marketing is going to work and work on people. Um, and I've been so sort of lucky enough to interview people like Dan Ariely and Daniel Kahneman and people like that. Sort of, uh, you know, over over the few years, I think in terms of actually like how I select stuff, I honestly don't really know. I think there's sometimes just a bit of like, huh. I sort of think like sometimes Amazon recommends a thing. Sometimes like you get a recommendation within a book. Someone says I know, and you should all check this out. Um, and then a Kate, like very rarely, I just feel like I'll treat myself and just buy a Philip Pullman. But I feel like that almost like an obligation <laughs> to just constantly be reading work-related stuff. So, so those are the two things you talked about that helped you
0: be more successful. So whether it's a book that helps you write better or an electronic book that kind of outsources storage of. Information from your brain. So Tim Ferriss' words at this point go a bit dark and a bit Damn, um, which I'm struggling with. But anyway, let's do it. Um, what has been your biggest work
1: failure that has set you up for subsequent success? I think <laughs> my biggest failure. My biggest failure is probably like most of my career. And like doing like really weird, odd stuff throughout my career. So I've had like I've I mean, it's broadly been kind of related to writing, I suppose. But, you know, so I've done, uh, like, I was a business journalist for a bit, but I've worked in, like, sort of film production. I was, uh, like, a production coordinator on um, a film called Morvan Caller, which produced uh, Lynn Ramsey, director film. She's got the new Whacking Phoenix film coming out. I've worked for the military for a bit, like, writing obituaries and doing, like, uh, kind of intelligence report stuff. Um, I worked at the IPA and like the knowledge department, like kind of like really, like nothing, I worked at a DM agency briefly doing like copywriting for, uh, for like, you know those leaflets in banks, like you should get a mortgage, 2.9% APR. Some, some idiot had to write that, I was that idiot. Um, and kind of like stuttering along and doing things while well, also having like this second track, kind of like evening career of stuff I wanted to do, like trying to be in a band which got like minor success, not enough success, minor success. Like publishing a book got minor success, not enough success. So you kind of stumble your way and and it all kind of like came to a bit of a head at Contagious with like the kind of the creativity of some of the evening stuff and, you know, kind of some of the the knowledge and the process of just working in different places and seeing like, you know, like working in film production, being right up close to how a film is produced gives you a different perspective when you're there kind of analysing you know, creativity and marketing campaigns. You know, writing like obituaries for Second World War <laughs> veterans you know, or like what's happening in, uh, in Iraq at like, you know, sort of post 9-11 gives you an interesting perspective on, you know, just you know, kind of that spinal tap, maybe a bit too much perspective on like just how important ad industry stuff really is. No one's literally died today. So all the stuff which at the time kind of felt a bit disparate and disjointed, does feel like it's kind of set me up for this slightly odd role that I've found myself in. So to take
0: that one step further, if you were giving advice to some bright grad, he or she, just out of uni, and they were desperate to get into digital marketing, would you advise them to follow a similar approach? Or would I don't you give them completely different
1: advice? <laughs> I don't think you could follow that approach if you tried to. I think, like, if you actually... Tr- <laughs> you couldn't follow that career path. <laughs> yeah. You'd uh, you'd probably be quite deranged if you did. I think um, the thing which, I guess, has always struck me and stuck with me with just, you know, like, making opportunities a little bit. Um, and, you know, just constantly trying to do stuff. I think, you know, I- I'm a an old enough person to remember kind of the, the the pre-internet age where if you wanted to write a book and get it published, you couldn't just self-publish on Amazon. You know, you had to go through a gatekeeper and, you know, uh, at a publishing house and someone had to yay or nay it. You know, if you wanted to make a film and actually get it seen by the world, you couldn't just do it, you know, with your phone and stick it up on YouTube. I think the opportunities for people to kind of be creative and do stuff are so great and just, you know, I suppose if you we were to learn anything from my, in inverted commas, career, it would be that, you know, yeah, you can go at it straight on, but you can kind of make your own way a little bit and just keep trying and doing stuff because you'll bring an experience which just other people won't have. Right,
0: so go into that in a bit more detail. So that, that's the key thing for you, for a, for a grad who wants to get into digital marketing, great experience that no one else has
1: i think so i mean it was intro we interviewed um a guy who was doing like an interactive vr thing about a year or two ago and he'd come from a reasonably sort of traditional production company background and he was saying like this project was mad because it was um said you didn't know which way they were trying to tell a story in vr and said we didn't know like if someone just turned around and looked the other way they wouldn't see the moment so we had to have like they said it was the most nightmarish task of storyboarding it. So they showed me the storyboards, and it was like, it was insane. It was like almost 3D storyboarding. And, you know, the book I wrote, which I alluded to earlier, was like an, a grown up choose choose-your-own-adventure book. I was like, this is exactly what I did. That was precisely like that storyboarding you've done. That's what I did. So, like, the ability to actually talk to these people, go, I know, I know what this feels like, and then to ask questions about it, because you have that knowledge of, like, ah, oh, I can see it. And did you come across... And, like, just a sneaky suspicion, like, did you find this was a, a surprise problem, a surprise opportunity? And, oh, my God, yeah. How would you even know that? It's like, well, I kind of <laughs> did something similar, like, a couple of years back. But it's that kind of breadth of experience, which, if you take a very linear path, you know, you, you kind of put yourself up against other people who will also just be very, very comparable. And I think, you know, I think there's, like, an old Elvis quote about it, no one ever stood out by looking exactly like anyone else, you know, and... If you take a very linear path, you can end up looking a lot like everyone else. You know, and if you take a slightly more left-field, bizarre route, you might find it harder, but you will bring something which no one else can bring. You will have that uniqueness.
0: So I'm going to go a bit off-piste here and change the tack completely. And I love this question, and I've prepped you on this, so I'm expecting great <laughs> things. Um, if you had a digital media budget of £10 million... To get any message out to anyone anywhere on any device on any media, what would it be? So you could spend that ten million quid on just taking over the YouTube homepage for I, I don't know how long, but it could just be Merry Christmas, Mum. But what? So what would
1: it be? Well, do you know what? I, what springs to mind is like just because I'm thinking about it, not because I'm bitter about it in any way. <laughs> this book I wrote, I wrote wrote it with a lovely guy as well. It was, we co authored this book. Uh, guy called Steve Morrison. It was a comedy choose your own adventure book for grown-ups. What was it called? It was called The Regional Accounts Director of Far Top Mountain. Yeah, 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 you can see uh, see why this went. And like we had a proper publishing deal with like Transworld, which is a big publisher, you know, it does like Dan Brown, does like Terry Pratchett and stuff like that. Um, we sort of somehow managed to like walk in and just nail like the first pitch. And right at the point of them publishing it, they pulled all the marketing budget off it and gave it to girls aloud. Because uh, I think they were about to split and they needed to, like, get this book out quickly. And so I always felt like this book, which I put a lot of time and effort into and did these bloody 3D storyboards on, no one ever heard of it. Th- I mean, the people who bought it on Amazon, and you should buy it, it's still on Amazon. How much is it? Uh, I have no idea at all. Right, okay. I have no idea at all. Someone, um, someone read it recently and sort of sent me, like, a message going, were you on acid? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... But yeah, I never felt that got a fair crack of it. So I'm, I feel, uh, I feel like life owes me something. <laughs> right. So you would blow ten million money. <laughs> now worth I think about it. That is the worst thing to spend money on. I would just keep it. I'd embezzle it. I would take the money. I'd buy myself
0: a Tesla. There I think you've, uh, I think you've said enough. <laughs> um, okay. So um, right. So a few more random uh, Tim Ferriss questions. Um, all right slightly more seriously. In the last five years, which new beliefs or behaviours have improved your work life?
1: I think um, if I had to pick one, it'd actually probably be, like, the ability to reduce stuff and simplify is is huge. It's so important. Like, the huge isn't the right word. It's, like, really, really important. It's very powerful. I think when you're... When I was younger, anyway, you kind of think... You kind of look almost metaphorically above you at people above you and think, it must be so complicated, it must be so complex, they must be wrangling all this crazy stuff. And in a way they are. But you know, I think the temptation is almost to make things more complicated.
0: Why is that? I see that at work a lot. Um, I remember doing a deck for a brand that should be remain nameless, and I showed it to the account director, and he said, yeah, well, you know, you just need to bulk it out a bit more. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. I was like, You're, no, he was a group account director, bless him. Uh, and I thought, why on earth would I need to bulk this out? Why do we feel the need to make stuff longer or yeah. more complicated? What What is that solving for us? Because we know that simplicity is a
1: yeah. it's well, much more useful it's, and yeah, I mean, beautiful. I, think, and stuff. I mean, I like it because people can do things with simplicity, but I think y- people do it because... Certainly, when you're a bit young, you think, "Well, that that must be more value. More like more slides in a deck has got to be worth more than fewer slides. More words on a page has got to be with more." You know, and you get it when um, when we sort of recruit people, at contagious. And we do uh, edit tests, and we, we're kind of funny because we're not straight up journalists. Um, we're it's a very fine slice, but we're more sort of writers, you might say, than, than journalists. Um, and we kind of want people with, like, knowledge, like, ad theory knowledge and stuff like that. So you, you, a straight journal will be great at the writing, but won't know a damn thing about, you know, whatever, like Byron Sharp's theories or whatever. Um, and then you get, like, people maybe from, like, a planning background who are great, but maybe need a bit of hand with uh, the writing stuff, because they haven't done a lot of articles whatever. Certainly they're not going to churn out, like, ten pages, which doesn't need anyone looking at it. Um, what was the question again? I've slightly derailed myself. Hang on. <laughs> no, no, go on. No, so, it the point, The question
0: was, why do we exalt uh, verbosity yeah. so much?
1: And I think that the temptation is when people think, oh, you know, a writer must use, like, the long words. If you're being paid for it, you've got to use, like, the fancy words. You know, the... You know the, the fifty pound words, not the not the not the fifty pence words that the rest of us And actually, it's just like you don't want to be reading an article and having to pull out your you know damn dictionary every two lines. And go. Oh, it's, I, I never really got into like Will Self books. Just one incredibly verbose. <laughs> like this is this is, you know, a, a hindrance to understanding. It's not helping at all. But the temptation is, you think, wow, I've got to like throw in all these like the big words because that will make me look more pro. I'm look more like a professional writer. Um so
0: that's so we're in gripe mode now, which is good. Um so what what are the other bad recommendations that you hear in your profession along the lines of we should bulk this presentation up more?
1: Uh the bad recommendations that we hear I mean, I don't think we I don't know how many recommendations we personally hear. Um we I tell we our version of like recommendations is we get sent like a lot of work, which people think is great. So this, what, case studies from agencies? Case studies, like, we've done a campaign, we wanted to write about this, we think we've done something really interesting. And the big thing was, like, we've done a world first. You know, it's like, and people think, like, the world first is the be-all and end-all of, like, doing a good campaign. You know, you could be the first person to... (laughs) I was going to say, like, shit a unicorn. But, all right, let's maybe not go into that. But being a world first isn't... uh, That was a terrible, terrible analogy. Um, Being a world first isn't the be-all and end-all. And the problem we have is, like... People often have quite a small, kind of, I suppose, like sphere of knowledge in a way of not of like their industry, but what's gone on in their industry. So they say, oh, we've done this world first. And you go, yeah, we've seen that seven times before. So actually saw that. So
0: what's a, so give me a bit more detail about that. What what is the classic? We've done this first, but we've seen
1: it before. Oh, I mean, I'm trying to think, like, the one which springs to mind, which is probably a couple of like years old now, it's like we've done like an AR like treasure hunt with like stuff on mobile. And you go, yeah, seen, done. That's that's probably not the best. We've probably seen like a lot of. That's not even a particularly recent kind of example, but nothing really springs to mind. But you have to like let these people down kind of gently. And go, you saw that in like Argentina in like two thousand nine. So I saw that in like,
0: right, like wherever. Yeah, we have this thing in agencies. And I'm I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of other agencies that you get different ideas in brainstorms or or from creatives that come back all the time. So. The Spotify playlist has ruled supreme <laughs> for about five years. I think every pitch that I worked on for like four years doing new business was like, oh, we're pitching for uh, Pizza Hut. How about like a Pizza Hut Spotify playlist? But,
1: yeah, the thing at the moment, I've been involved and in, um, we sort of get brought in because we're neither an agency nor a client. So we're the independent, like, yeah, we should do, you know, maybe you should have a look at this. We've got no skin in that game. If we think you should do something in AI, it's because we think you should, not because we're going to do it for you. So we get brought into, like, you know, kind of hackathons and, like, innovation brainstorms and kind of agitate and just, like, show some cool stuff. And is that a product that you sell? Do you hire us to come in and... Yeah, speak to exactly. Us? Yeah. Okay. And um, and the thing which, like, like so far in the last year, I've heard, like, four times in four different sort of sessions is we could do a Netflix documentary about our product, basically, and just trying to... or, like, or, or this issue. And then, you know, there was one group, I was, like, trying to talk to them, and I was like yeah I can see why you'd, you, why you would want that <laughs> yeah, of but, I was like, but I can guarantee like you know documentaries are maybe not the best way to kind of educate or raise awareness about a thing I was like I can guarantee more people learned about Dunkirk from the Chris Nolan film than a documentary about it There's probably more people know about Titanic from the James Cameron film than a documentary. The list of these films go on and on about it's like have I mean, you not thought about entertainment? But they're all fixated on this damn Netflix documentary. Netflix documentary. Like, that is like turnkey solution to all their problems. I think in years gone
0: by, it was flash mobs. That was... You could, flash mobs, yeah. It was yeah, almost yeah. like a little bell that would go off in the, in the brainstorm yes. session where we could do a flash yeah. mob like T-Mobile. Yeah. And then we'll do no a viral.
1: Trip. We'll do a viral off the back <laughs> yeah. of it.
0: Come on, let's it. Do not. us a viral <laughs> song. Uh, so your shiny new object technology... It's viral videos <laughs> and flash mobs, yeah. <laughs> flash mobs uh, playlists. Um, so thanks for all those questions. I'm sorry they're a bit weird, but no, that funny. was I was really interested in all the, the books, including your own. I'll put in the show <laughs> notes. So um, yeah. Yeah, put mine at the top. I will. I will. Uh, uh, I will lead with that. Um, so in terms of the shiny new object, obviously the promise of this podcast is that we'll talk about a new bit of marketing technology that people are getting super excited mm. about and um, so uh, as an innovation director you're kind of peddling this stuff right it's your yeah. job to be able to say before everyone else look at this thing a chatbot no one's ever seen this before and everyone's oh my god and then you sell that into the client yeah and as an innovation director you have to Although be i'm not an
1: innovation director
0: i'm talking yeah that's, yeah, that's oh, sorry, yeah. talking about myself Um you have to be super optimistic about the potential of every bit of technology so What I really wanted to do with this podcast is to kind of sit on the other side of the fence and try and understand someone else's view of a new technology from a kind of sceptical kind of client or account manager perspective. So your shiny new object is computational creativity. It is, yeah. So can you start off
1: and explain what that is? Yeah, it's the ability... This is (laughs) going to sound like I'm taking the piss out of you. It's the ability for computers to be creative. But I think you can break that down into, I guess, a couple of areas. There's, like, generative stuff, where they're actually generating their own kind of creative work. There is kind of evaluation, um, where they're evaluating creative work. And oh, what's the third one? Maybe I'll just say the two. Hang on.
0: It will come back. It will come back. Um, so this is computers making art.
1: Yeah. To, yeah. Well, yeah they so, making making advertising that's not that's not
0: overpromise <laughs> well there's a whole community around computational creativity that's a, there's a huge number of people in academia yeah. using machines to generate art yeah. but i guess well where does where does art stop and advertising take over yeah yeah. Oh, yeah i mean
1: i'm sort of the, the bit i was when i said that was my shiny object was was the, the ad bit of it but yeah there's they've been doing this for decades and decades doing it in like art and like games and music and all kinds. But I think really like the academic end was very much, you know, like kind of we're doing it because we can, we're exploring this area, but no great kind of commercial um, purpose to it. But some really like interesting and crazy stuff going on out there. I saw like an amazing example of someone had built, it was like a whodunit kind of murder mystery thing based on Wikipedia articles and the kind of hierarchy of links between them. So you choose a person. So say you choose Justin Bieber. You'd say Justin Bieber was be murdered. Who's murdered him? And we will make a game out of it and go, well, he was, you know, and based on Wikipedia links, go well, he he came like number two in like that week's you know charts against Taylor Swift. So Taylor Swift's a suspect, but then there could be like a local Canadian kind of pop star. I said well. Bieber's Canadian as well. So they become a suspect. And like, you know, his... like, But some of it like, could even go dark. It's like, well, he was like first propelled to fame by his mother. So his mum's a suspect as well. <laughs> but there's no real, um, you know, kind of commercial output beyond... Let's just see if computers can do this stuff. So
0: computational creativity sounds very interesting. And that Bieber link I've seen, and I can imagine mm. that getting <clears throat> passed around someone in a brand. But I, I am the CMO of boots and so I see that
1: article and I'm what has that got to do with me as a yeah. marketing person well I think this one, I've like ignore I said three ignore that there's two there's two <laughs> bits right there's generation of creativity and there's evaluation of creativity I think at the generation end of things from what I have seen I think it's still kind of in the novelty phase almost it's like you can do stuff and it's it's kind of alright but it's when you
0: could be specific about what you mean by generation I know what that okay, means. I've so this before, but say you're completely—you're the
1: marketing director of Boots, and you've got no idea what okay, generation so we're, of content. So, so we Let's yeah. Let's, so let's think about you know like traditional ad, like a TV ad. You could get a computer to generate you a script. You could get it to generate uh, you know visuals, generate soundtrack, generate the audio, edit it, like the whole whole nine yards. And individually, there's technologies which will do all of those things. And some of them are more advanced than others. Like on the music side of things, um, you know, there's some actually genuinely quite credible and good music being generated by AI. On the script side of stuff, and kind of the narrative end of things, like there's some comedy examples out there. They're not intended to be comedy, but they're funny because they're they're not kind of right. and the same with, like, the visuals. Like, you know, like they can generate some stuff, but it, there's always, it's kind of uncanny valley kind of stuff. So I think in terms of generation, the idea of, like, I'll press a button on my computer and pow, a TV ad will come out the other end, we're not there. But the pieces are in place for that to almost be an, in- an inevitability, I think. The thing, I think, which is more pressing, more ready today is, like, the evaluation stuff. The ability to, you know, kind of look at certain types of creative and go, this will be more effective than another type. Uh, so, so who, who's doing that? Um, so, I mean, on the, again, I'm sort of talking on the, you know, let's think of it as the lower down the ladder of kind of marketing comm stuff. Okay. Um, so like email marketing things, you know, there's companies like Posado and Frazee, which will generate emails and For you, and I think like Posado claims it can write copy, which will be more engaging, more effective than any human could write copy for you, but only in certain sectors. So I think it's just in like retail, just in financial, sort of comms, stuff like that. Um, And they base it on emotions and things like this, and they'll do huge amounts of like testing and feedback and optimization, and they'll create you an email which you can send out. and then there's on the more visual side, there's companies like I know you know like Picasso Labs, yeah. um, which will take like any of a brand's visual assets, like their you know, sort of photos, but also videos as well, and just analyze it and tell you what will work, what will work better. And they spoke at your event most contagious? They did, yeah. Um so really interesting, really interesting. They um and, and it's kind of important, like we interview a lot of people in this sort of space. And they all of them, and they, maybe you say, well, they would say this, but all of them, kind of to a man or a woman, will say, you know, we're not trying to replace creative directors. What we're trying to do is augment them and give them kind of the data and the proof to show that they're correct in a way. Um, but Picasso Labs, like, it's really interesting because they'll look at like, you know, all of your visual assets, but also look at all your competitors' ones, that's kind of scraped off the internet or whatever, and tell you what they think will work for you based on, you know, someone else. And, um, you know, we asked them, do you, you know, surely if you're, is this just a race for everyone to end up looking exactly the same? And they said they'd tested it, I think, on two airlines. They put in, like, British Airways and Virgin uh, Airlines. And actually recommended totally different things based on what the brand was all about, what they wanted to achieve, you know, kind of, you know, how they were perceived, how they wanted to be perceived. So you don't get this oh, well, the computer says you should all have, you know, smiling stewardesses and this kind
0: of And did she do the game on stage?
1: Um, I, don't, I don't even know if she did do the game, actually.
0: Because um, um, I know Anna's stage very well, and um, Noah, one of her colleagues, came to speak at my event. I'll be mm. back where every yeah. month. We get people together to discuss the intersection of uh, uh, AI, creativity, and ads. And Noah came down and presented, and he was brilliant. And he said well, we use this technology to work out which images work best. Yeah. So we did a quiz. So he said, right, in a room of 60 people that came down, which of these three photos of a car do you think drives mm-hmm. the most engagement, you know, from behind, from the side or in front? And I think out of five different examples, the audience only got it right once.
1: Amazing. So you have
0: this idea in your head that, you know, I work in advertising, I've been around this for 10-odd years, yeah. I know what's going on here. And, you know, your instinct... Is quite often wrong. Certainly, in a room of sixty people, yeah. the, the median
1: was was definitely wrong most yeah. times. And that's, I mean, to your point, of like if you are like a <clears throat> marketing manager at Boots or somewhere, the idea that you could just be right is like very reassuring. And it's like, well, I could go with my gut, or I could go with like the agency's saying, or you know, bugger it, we'll just ask the computer, and the computer is right, you know. And if it's wrong, i will just optimize and make it right. You know, when you've got so much other uncertainty. You know, in your job, and you're trying to do so many other things. Just like something you can just like grab onto and go, well, that'll be right. It's very attractive, I imagine. And what kind of pushback are you hearing about computational creativity? So it's, that's interesting. I did. Um, well, I've, I've talked about this. I've like, given talks about this a fair bit, and like quite a few Q and As over the last, you know, 12 or 18 months or so. And there's a real oil and water split. In terms of age group, I think there are the you get above a certain age, and this is like being very, very like broad. I don't want to be like you know ageist about this, but this was my experience. of It was people get above a certain age and they just deny it. They just refuse. Like this, this technology does not exist. Even when you show it to me, it does not exist. Even when you it's been proven, I do not believe it will do what I do. Because and you know there's an element of you know I've got a couple of years left in my career you know I'm, I'm gonna retire soon I don't really care but I this is not the narrative that I want to hear right now I don't want to add to this um and sort of the you know the way I tend to like if I'm talking about it it's like sort of sum up as like you know you guys aren't gonna lose your job to a computer you'll probably lose it to a human that's better at working with a computer than you are someone who can actually kind of wrangle these systems um and my advice is generally like bring it in like use it now be the person who knows how to use this stuff don't be that kind of like person a couple of years down the line who just denies it, denies it, and then suddenly finds that, you know, they've been optimised out of a job, almost. And the problem is, like, the people at the top are sort of denying it and going, I, I don't want this to be true, but I have the clout at our agency to bring this in, but I'm going to cut, like, that off. I'm going to, like, you know, you know, cut our neck off on that one. So the younger generation coming up is not getting an opportunity to get their hands on this stuff.
0: And so let's talk about a couple of scenarios. So five years from now, computational creativity doesn't work, works a bit or works
1: incredibly well. Talk me through what happens in each of those scenarios. I think, I'm going to kind of like, you know, say it doesn't work. I'm going to discount that because I think we've seen it and it is working in areas. So at a really low level, Maybe not even a really low level, but at, at a certain level, it, it is working a bit. I think it, it may just never progress beyond a certain point. So, like, you know, looking at, so, you know, what image should I put up on my Instagram feed, which will get most likes? Fine. Outsource that. Compute says yes, says no to the other four. Uh, we go with that. Um, if it's, you know, and it may just kind of take up that kind of like the day to day volume of, let's be blunt about it, kind of filler <laughs> advertising. Stuff's like, shit, we've got a we've got a social channel we've just got to keep... There's just a volume of stuff we are just got to keep putting out there. Um, fine, we'll do that. Oh, we've got to do some like banners and some email marketing. Fine, let the computer do it. No-one really wants to work on it. I think the problem there is that's, that's like a thin end of the wedge, and if the computer gets better and it starts levelling up and levelling up and taking on more stuff, I think that's the big unknown. There's a really interesting... Um, you know, people always underestimate uh, you know how good things are gonna get so There's a really interesting recent example. I don't know if you saw this about the deep fake thing that's going on. Deep fakes. So it's something which started on Reddit. Basically, this guy developed this uh, algorithm and it's being used to put uh, the faces of celebrities onto porn stars. In films, like not like a not just like a sort of Photoshop job. Actually, like, you get a porn film and it's got what's well, something like Daisy Ridley from Star Wars or Gal Gadot from you know, Wonder Woman and, and it's them and it looks exactly like them or very 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 like them like the voices and things are all off because they're not doing that um, and, and so it's using the same type of technology which do you remember in um, the end of that Star Wars film Rogue One when young Princess Leia comes in mm. they've kind of brought her back from the dead it's kind of using that stuff whereas Hollywood spent like millions on the CGI budget to do that Basically, a couple of people have just like written this algorithm. It's, it's machine learning, so it teaches itself how to do it. It gets better and better, and it's free. And it's just on the internet. So there's this ridiculous subreddit um, called Deepfake or Deepfakes. And this guy was there, sort of posting up. And so you need a couple of things to do it. One, you need, well, you don't need a porn film. You just need a film, basically. It doesn't have to be porn, but it's all porn, Tom. It's all porn. Then you need, um, in order for it, like the face to kind of map to the other face you need like hundreds of photos of the celebrity or other person you want to put on it which is why it works with celebrities because there's just hundreds of photos of them so available on the internet Um, and then it kind of maps them on in 3d and it tracks it around and what's weird is like so this thing got like good crazy quick because of the speed of ai just working on it you know people always underestimate how good this stuff's going to get and how quickly it's going to get um, and, and the subreddit is so weird because it it became a shopping list this guy was like hey I've done this and I've done like and I think the original one was, like, it was literally like Daisy Ridley you know, uh, on you know, in a porn film and and then people just went right I want uh, this is the person I want I want this person do this person do this person for me and they're just like putting in requests like a shopping list of celebrities they would like to see in porn films and so you can download this app called the Deep Fake app and then people were uploading these like, very realistic fake sled porn films onto Pornhub. So, like, in the last, like, couple of weeks, a lot of these, like, big, you know, kind of internet porn providers have banned it. So they're now, like, saying, that like, this is a step too far. Even for the porn industry, it's a step too far that we won't allow computer-generated fake porn. And they've taken it all off.
0: I was not expecting to hear uh,
1: those words. I mean, I'd, I'd... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um okay wow well, so sorry i, mean, I guess so, the point so, i was so, making yeah, was well, yeah, you know, that crap reasonable good good so the point with the deep fake thing was it got good so much quicker than anyone thought you know right. and it's not that i encourage people to go looking at porn if you search for it on the internet like you can see gifs so you don't have to go watching porn you can just see gifs of this person's face just on a on a clothed actress yeah um and you're like that's Totally. And like, you know.
0: So, in a marketing context, the marketing director of Boots might go right. Well, um, what we can't afford this actress or actor for a whole day, um, but they've given us license to use their face. So yeah. we'll use the body of someone else to get, you know, yeah. an out of work actor working for seventy five quid a day to do multiple takes, and then we'll yeah. transpose or deep their face yeah, onto it. Okay.
1: exactly. So that's, you can go, do you know what? We want Morgan Freeman. We can't afford Morgan Freeman. Let's get someone the same body kind of size and shape, and we'll just film this out. And then we'll just stick his face on it. Like, where's the law on this? And then, I mean, you must have heard, like, you know, the, this kind of the voice generation stuff. There's, you know, startups like Liarbird. And yeah, and this and yeah. Much, where you can literally just type in text and it comes out in the voice of the person you want i think lyrebird claim they need 30 seconds of sample of 30 second sample of someone speaking to just replicate that voice and so you know you've got morgan freeman for free using his likeness it's way and at the moment like it's it's not particularly ethical but the Law is not caught up with that yet. Well, he, he could equally sell that as a package, though, couldn't
0: he? Yeah, he could go, Well, here's my voice print, and yeah, can, I'll say whatever you want, I won't say these words, you can't get me on these topics. Yeah, so he will have his own like parameter and AI that allows yeah. him to speak. I, I, um, I was listening to the, the Flash Forward podcast, if you heard this? yeah, uh, and she was saying that there was this kind of future where Tom Cruise might, after he dies, have already sold his his visual and audio rights so they can carry on making more Mission Impossible films God help us but but, uh, you know some stunt guy comes in and represents him and they just keep on making more and more (laughs) of these films which means that someone could be more successful as an actor Mm. uh, after they die Um, but I don't know if you saw the example from uh, Microsoft I think it was at the start of January they've they've created a tool where you can type in uh, yellow bird with a short beak, and it will create a photo real image of a, you know, a chaffage with a yeah, with a beak, amazing. and you can see it sort of chop it together. So I'm not, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time experimenting, and thinking about this space um, in the in a you know the the sort of posado end of it. But really, yes, you're absolutely right. There's technology there that can produce cinema fundamentally. Yeah. So if you can chop together an advert like on a you know, in a browser. then yeah. Why? Why is a brand going
1: to spend? Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's not. Money. It's incredibly fast. It's going to get incredibly good, and it's crazy cheap. as what that's the point? Like this guy on like Reddit doesn't have like the budget of Lucasfilm behind him. It's like a guy probably with like a Dell desktop. <laughs> Maybe he's got something a bit better, but. But you know, like the the barrier to entry on this stuff is just so low. You know, because a lot so much like the processing can be outsourced to the cloud. You know, like say it's just a browser, it's kind of all you need. It's that's you know, the almost the event horizon we can't see beyond is like so when it's almost to the point of being free, it's insane, like it's going to get very high quality, and it's cheap, so we can do anything. You know, it's you can that's when you kind of want it. And it's I, I know you've had like a bit of a musical background as well, but it sort of reminds me a bit of you know, sometimes creative limitation is a good thing. So, like, you know, when the Beatles recorded Abbey Road that had a four-track recorder. In fairness, they also had Abbey Road and George (laughs) Martin, and they were the Beatles, but they had a four-track recorder. Now, you know, you can probably get, like, free music recording software, just download it, and it has infinite tracks. You can record as much as you want. You can sample, you get free drums, anything you want. The music being produced is not noticeably better (laughs) than the Beatles. Now we have infinite creative freedom. I think, in a way, that's going to be the challenge. When you can do anything, what the hell do you do?
0: Alex, I'm going to leave it there. If you can do anything, <laughs> what the hell do you do? Probably uh, so, not promote your crappy <laughs> book. <laughs> so uh, so thanks for telling us about um, Ethiopia and uh, the hottest digital marketing campaigns of Sub-Saharan Africa, of which I knew nothing. Uh, you told us about uh, your favourite book, which I'll link to, uh, and you know how important to you the you know the value of of, of writing is, uh, and your interested in career and how you you know you'd recommend someone to go out and get new experience so that they're not comparable to the person who's just going through the process of a, maybe a big agency. Um, and I've absolutely loved hearing your your view on computational creativity, and you've opened my mind again to the idea that actually we're going to blow right past direct response adverts into kind of full-blown ads
1: yeah. uh, quicker than we think. And the porn. Sorry about the porn, but, you know, um, it does so, tend to drive, uh, drive a lot of innovation, in so, that industry.
0: So as uh, uh, Tim, who's the inspiration for this show, Tim Ferriss would say, how can people get in touch with you or reach out or where do they find you online?
1: Um Like you can contagious dot com for work on Twitter. I'm just a underscore j. That's a good one. Yeah, I was was a pretty early adopter on Twitter. Uh, Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks for having me.